Welcome to Book Tour, two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Stedden. And I'm Rob Olson. I'm going to pause you right there because it, should we call this podcast Booked for, for what this episode is? Oh, Heard? Heard? Does Heard I was work? thinking Audio Booked. But audio book. You know what? I think I like listened. audio book better. Let's 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 start over. All right. <laughs> I don't. I, I, so here's the funny part for anybody who's listening. I totally wanted to start this over, and the fact that we slightly changed the name of the podcast made me completely forget how we start the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Audio Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're listening to in their cars. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The audiobook that we're going to be talking about this episode is Radicals by Nick Corpon. Here is a little bit about Nick Corpon. He is the author of several books, including The Soul Standard and Stay God, Sweet Angel. He lives in Baltimore with his wife and two children. The This is the, we're going to do the thing we always do. Mm-hmm. There's something missing from the bio. That's odd, too, because... My first thought was not that oddly enough. I was like, man, we've reviewed 50% of the books that are in his bio, but really (laughs) we've reviewed two other books of his. And what's that other thing that's missing? Are you talking about the book anthology? Because he was definitely in the book anthology. That's what he was totally in the book anthology. Yes, of course. Yeah, Yeah, I knew that. It's okay. It's all right. I mean, it's not like we would deduct points from the score of someone's book for them getting their bio that wrong, right? Oh, we're not. I have to go change some numbers. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is where if if we were if we were like a like a highly produced podcast, there would have been crickets chirping oh. there. So um, I'm going to make a is, promise to change that in post, but then not change it in post. Perfect. Then then we will nothing will have changed since episode one, <laughs> and that's exactly the way I like it. Um, it's funny that not to change the subject, but um, I've been noticing when I watch like YouTube videos, mm-hmm. the people will be like, Oh, just click on the link. That's like up here somewhere. And like half the time yeah. a link doesn't get inserted. Yeah. So that, yeah, but that's, they figured anyway. it out. They broke the, they cracked the code that I cracked back in the day when I'd say, well, I'm going to put a link in the show notes and then never even bother. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll never know how many people wouldn't have clicked that link <laughs> if it was there. So anyway, um, back to tonight's audiobook for all you audiobook lovers. Um, here is the synopsis for Radicals. Jay Brodsky is an enigma to his fellow agents at the FBI Cybercrimes Division, to his new partner, even to himself. For someone whose skills are beyond question, he often seems just on the edge of losing control. He seldom speaks about his family and his personal life, but he seems to be hiding something, and he has an unusual obsession with even the most obscure punk rock. So when a mysterious cyber terrorist organization begins erasing Americans' medical debt, Jay must put his personal issues aside to focus on an attack that threatens to destabilize the U.S. economy. But when the trail leads to his own family, Jay will be forced to confront everything he never knew about his parents and his long-missing sister and decide where his true loyalties lie. With his country and his mind racing toward a breaking point, can Jay find the answers before everything descends into chaos? Bum, bum, bum. I'm going to just go out on a limb and say that he will probably find the answers. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. The, it, here's the joke. The joke I'm going to make about the synopsis is it doesn't mention the hurricane. Um, yeah, there's a hurricane in the book, but it's it's not essential to the plot. But it's just it would be a funny thing to say. Um, as far as synopses go, I think this is pretty good. Um, Mm -hmm. 
it, it's interesting, and I'm sure we're going to get into it, but um, it plays on the idea of of terror at a great scale, like destabilizing the U.S. economy. So mm-hmm. we'll just have to talk about like the scale of what the the story is because it also felt very like Baltimore specific. Yeah. Which doesn't come through in this. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. But, like, I, I think that as far as the synopsis goes, this is actually probably one of the better ones we've gotten as far as, like, representing what the story's about. I would agree. Um, I, the one thing I will say, because, you know, needless to say, I did not read the synopsis before listening to the book, um, mostly because there was not an audio version of the synopsis for me to listen to to keep it really, like, in tune with with uh, this week's um, episode. Um. I almost feel like the synopsis went too far a little bit. And I don't know how much of that we'll talk about, but I think you'll understand what I mean. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what I made that one observation, but yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you. So the book kicks off, um, with, a <laughs> with a, uh, break in, uh, a break in at a, at a medical, a small medical facility, like a doctor's office. Um, and that is the, the, the kickoff to what's talked about in the, in the, um, synopsis. So I'll, I'll kind of go a little bit further into that story, but there is a group of people and, uh, they have started breaking into medical facilities and basically, um, uploading a virus of sorts, um, that erases, uh, patients billing information, which, uh, would then cause there to not be a record of what money is owed by people who are patrons of that medical facility. And we'll, we'll probably get into how this grows um, through the course of the story, but that's really the, the catalyst event. Um, and the reason for it is uh, they, they start with one clinic and it erases, but as a virus, it also is able to move through networks um, of other medical facilities that are in that particular network. So I don't know, Rob, how much time you spend at the doctor, right? But like if uh, if you go and you have to get a referral, like your referral just sends you to someone that's in their particular network. So um, I haven't been to a doctor in a few years, but the last time I was, I went to see a general practitioner about an issue I was having with my hand. And he said, oh, you've got to go see a bone and joint specialist. And he sent me to like the bone and joint specialist that is in their network. So I'm assuming right. that that's had this have happened at my doctor's office the billing information for both of those visits would have been gone and I wouldn't have been out like 75 bucks or whatever that whole thing cost me. Is everything okay though? Like the bones and joints are all good. Yeah. Oddly enough, it wasn't a bone or a joint. I had, uh, I had either <laughs> pinched or somehow, um, had like a, like a, like a nerve was inflamed that was causing me like issues with grip and stuff. So they gave me two shots of cortisone and that was the end of it. So I'm totally going to derail the conversation right away because mm-hmm. now I'm like thinking about this in in network kind of bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. Because recently I went and got an eye exam because I needed new glasses, and I know that the reason they recommended the type of glasses they recommended was because I told them um, I now sit in front of a computer for my job, like I, I'm in front of a computer eight hours a day. Had I not said that, like, I know that they would have recommended different types of lenses, but they're like, you need to get these specific types of glasses with this, like, technology that helps with people who work in front of screens all day. And so later on, I looked up. I didn't buy any glasses that day. I was like, I'm here for the exam. Give me the exam. I'm going to do my research, see what I'm covered, you know, under my insurance. 
and then I'm going to do buy glasses later on. Uh, and then I looked up what they were and it was just like exclusive to certain like, um, optometry, like eye, eye doctors or whatever. And I was like, all right. So they're just selling the thing that they're like paying someone to like be able to sell. So I, yeah, I didn't it's... buy those. While we're on the subject of optometrists, <laughs> if you're an optometrist, I'm really sorry that I'm saying this. <laughs> I almost don't feel like, okay, so I, I think there's two different types of optometrists, right? So I think when you go to like lens crafters or, or insert whatever chain, you know, mm-hmm. is most familiar to you, I almost feel like they're not doctors. I almost feel like any of us could do that job with like two weeks worth of training. I'm sure they're like optom. I don't know. Would it be an optometrist? Like, if you go get surgery on your eye, you don't go to lens crafters. It's definitely not <laughs> that guy that's doing it, right? Right, right. So I don't know. Maybe there are two different types of eye doctors. Like the one that's like read line three, right? And then there's the one that's like, all right, we're gonna you have an inflamed cornea, and we're gonna have to remove it or whatever happens when you have like eye surgery, right? Right. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I think those optometrists... Uh, I hope we don't have any optometrist listeners. We're losing our I, whole optometrist yeah. audience well, well, right now. Well, wait for it, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eliminate another category. They're probably <laughs> like the chiropractors. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Where they're not really doctors. Like... <laughs> well, so, uh, like, so in, the, in my experience in the eye exam... Like they did the thing where they flip the thing and like, which is better one or two. Right. And then you tell them and they're like, how about now one or two? Like he did that whole thing. But then they did, um, like a retinal screening. They actually like took a picture of my, my, um, the inside of my eye. Mm -hmm. And then based on what it looked like, they said, Oh, you might have glaucoma. So we're going to continue, you know, every six months taking a picture of the, um, optic nerve to see if anything changes. So like, but I feel like, yeah, if I if someone told me what to do with the flippy thing, one or two, you know? Right? Yeah. And then told me, hey, when you're looking at the optic nerve, here's the, the warning signs to look for. I don't mm-hmm. need four years, of, four, six, eight years of medical school to uh, to get through at least like an eye exam, which is probably 90% of what those guys do. Uh, we're going to have to do a whole episode where we expose the... Uh... The, the optometrists, I think. Going undercover and shit. Yeah, let's do that. They do the thing where they blew like the air in your eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fucking weird. <laughs> that's all I've got to uh, say about that. I don't know what that does. <laughs> all I know is I was like, all right, come on. How serious is this? You're like blowing air in my eye. Like, this just seems like a fun party prank. Right. So, uh, all disrespect of optometrists aside, <laughs> I guess we should probably talk about the book. Yes. So then we catch up with our protagonist, Jay Brodsky, who's an FBI agent. To give you a little bit of background on him, um, he's been out of the academy for uh, about seven years. Um, he, we're very specifically told that it's odd that he was selected to work in his hometown, but that somebody, uh, the, his, his boss, who we may or may not get into, Brett, um, basically um, saw his marks. He did very well in school. He um, um, kind of uh, brought him in to the local um, uh, FBI department. What are they, like, office? FBI office? It would be an FBI office, It would be an office, yeah. Yeah. Um, Brought him into the local FBI office, 
Um, and he's worked there for seven years. Now, going back a little bit in Jay's life, um, right around the time he joined the FBI was when he had a falling out with his sister, who may or may not continue to come up in this particular review, but she does come up in the book from time to time. Um, so we have all of that. And there's still more backstory, which I'm sure Rob will get into. But essentially, he gets to work and this gets dropped on his desk. Like, hey, there's this weird break in um, cybercrime. There's weird shit coming up on their computer. Need you to look into it. All right. And I think this is going to be the first part of of me acknowledging the difference between um, experiencing a book as an audiobook versus what I'm what I'm accustomed to, which is either an ebook or a print book. I feel like retention is different because um, while I don't think that I wasn't paying attention, like the, the stuff in the beginning of the book is way fuzzier for me than the stuff that happened, you know, middle to end of the book. Um, but so essentially, uh, just in general, I want to talk about, there's a, there's another FBI agent that pops up from time to time. He also works in this cyber crimes kind of team that Brodsky's in. His name is Yemen. And he's, I can't remember his ethnicities, but it's a, it's an odd combination of ethnicities, but he's like in the audiobook, like a real hard, like New York accent. I don't know Would you, you would probably agree with me with that. Right. Uh, some type of East coast for sure. I don't know that I could pinpoint, <laughs> but yeah, definitely an East coast accent. <laughs> Maybe it's Baltimore. Like, I don't know. I've been to Baltimore, but like it was on a weird Cinco de I went to a Cinco de Mayo party, uh, for like part of a day but i was staying in maryland i don't know anyway or i was staying in another part of maryland um so maybe it is baltimore and i just didn't have enough time in the city to like pick up on it but like he's got a very east coast yeah like oh what do you think about this kind of accent so um and he while he's part of the the primary team we don't see yemen very much he kind of just pops up from time to time because Jay is is the protagonist and he's the one that we follow the most, but essentially, like um, Jay finds out about what's going on, and um, the the trigger of why this case is important to them is that there was a hack that happened at this medical office that deleted, um, like like Livia's mentioned before, the the medical like billing history for these for that specific that specific office, and so because there was a hack. That's why they have to kind of like jump into into action to try and find out what the hell is going on. Um, during the course of uh, early course of the investigation, they figure out that it's, you know, it has spread to other um, facilities. But <clears throat> very quickly, uh, another break in happens. So they're starting to see that this is this is moving very, very quickly. And uh, the second one, if I remember correctly, is at an insurance company, um, which obviously you know, kind of takes care of the same thing. So it's pretty, it's pretty reasonable for them to come to the conclusion that this is some type of um, activist group that's uh, working to wipe out the, the, the medical debt. So to expound. And so we don't have to keep coming back to this um, through the course of the story. It's cited pretty early in the book, how many billions of dollars are are spent a year on on the medical industry. So the stakes become very high very quickly for the FBI. And that's where we kind of go back to this destabilizing the U.S. economy, although things continue um, to expand through the course of the book. I guess I'd just like to sum up so we don't have to keep coming back to it is that this keeps getting bigger and bigger and eventually could collapse the entire economy of the United States, which, by the way, 
Also then concerns me that there's only like a couple, a handful of FBI agents working on it and not like a massive team. And I get like, this is, this is, you know, you know, fiction storytelling, obviously, but I think once the hints of that would happen, right, it would be a massive organization. It probably wouldn't even be the, like the, the, the like first guy to get it that gets to hold on to it. You know what I mean? That's where you'd bring in the big dogs. Would right, be my right. thought, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, and some thoughts on that. So um, I want to acknowledge that as far as the narrative goes, um, we do see this story from multiple perspectives, including at some points the um, the antagonist group, like the ones that are doing these crimes, um, as early on as the first uh, hack that happens. And I, I think what's notable about that is besides the like kind of like, so there was three people in the team and there's almost like a Goldilocks kind of like um, mama bear, papa bear, baby bear thing. Cause like one's the big guy, one's the really small guy and one's like the muscular one, which was an interesting choice. But <laughs> so there's these three people and notably uh, at least for me uh, in the first crime, when that was being committed, uh, they didn't seem really keen on being violent against people. They were more just focused on like in and out, uh, as efficiently as possible, leave as little evidence. And, and like, if we can do this without anybody ever knowing that's the goal. So um, they they don't seem violent when the, when the crimes are being perpetrated. Uh, they seem like they're very focused on the, the specific job that they're there for. Yeah. And for the remainder of this review, we can refer to them as the crimson ghosts. It's what the uh, FBI mm-hmm. refers to them as now, Rob, when that was introduced and it was explained that Brodsky recognizes the, the, the skull that like shows up in the like virus, did you were you immediately able to picture what that looked like? Um not until they mentioned the band The Misfits, but then the Misfits, once yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Once that happened I was like, All right. Yeah, I didn't until it was mentioned as their, their logo or, or whatever their little you know, whatever. Right. Their emoji. I guess for any kids that are listening, it's their emoji. Um, but yeah, I was I was curious. I was thinking about that because there were there are um, oh I don't know seventy punk rock bands referenced in this book, and oh, and yeah. I will I will give Nick some credit because some of them are big enough you know that I I recognized them. Some are very clearly fictitious because they're they're like you know like they're. Like, I don't even want to say characters in the story, but characters that are part of the story. So, you know, they're fictitious. Right. But then there was a bunch in the middle that I was like, I don't know if he's making these up or not. (laughs) Yeah. Same thing here. Yeah. So I think I think that was uh, that was handled pretty well. Um, Yeah. So at any rate, uh, back to the FBI, um, as they realize how um, how important this is, they do bring in a uh, team member, an FBI team member from another city. Her name is Vargas. Um, she's, uh, was involved in kind of a high profile case, even though she's not the one that cracked it. So they, they bring her in. It was uh, some type of mob, um, or something case. So they bring her in and she partners with Brodsky and, uh, they, they get on, uh, they, they get out and, uh, you know, slap, uh, what's the, the old term that you used to slap in leather or whatever. I don't know. Uh, whatever. Kind of pound, pound, pound the, the pavement, pound, pound the, the pavement. That'll work too. Slap um, in leather. I was the like, pavement. that was 50 shades of gray. Well, that was, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Maybe that was in the, the, the remake of Fifty Shades of Grey, the, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so basically the rest of it, uh, you know, essentially is an FBI story. Um, but 
it doesn't take long for Brodsky to figure out that uh, there are some elements of this that might be a, a little closer to home than just like a band he recognized as the logo for the for the the um, activist slash terrorist group. Yeah. Um, so expanding on on Agent Brodsky a little bit, I know Livia's touched on a little some stuff right at the beginning, but um, in addition to being an FBI agent who's been basically on the job for about seven years. Um, uh, something that becomes very important to his story, or at least like his personality is um, his family life growing up. But then also the fact that, you know, um, around the time he joined the FBI was when, um, like Livia said before, he had a kind of falling out with his sister and he hadn't, he hasn't talked to her in a long time. And she was, uh, more or less like the person who raised him after a certain point because uh, they lost their mother tragically, but then also their father was kind of like a deadbeat. And so she was more or less like a surrogate mother for him, but then they had a falling out. He hasn't seen her for a while. And she was she was definitely the mother figure in his life. And so it was very devastating for him when he lost her. Um, this he has throughout his life developed some... Uh, like OCD type tendencies and ticks and things that he does, which prominently feature in the book. So um, there's a lot of backstory for, for agent Brodsky um, as far as like his personality, his quirks as, as, as a person, but then also his family background. And that's not even introducing the fact that like, there's so much talk about punk music in this book as well. Yeah. I mean, he grew up with punk music and activism in his family. So and then he's faced kind of with with some of these um, same elements coming up during the course of, of this uh, this particular investigation. One thing I want to say, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, <clears throat> I, was, I guess I don't know a lot about anything, but um, I don't know a lot about the condition that he has. Um, but what I will say is uh, I, I, I kind of like the fact that Nick um, decided to go a route where let me rewind a little bit. When you see people with odd tics and stuff um, and, and odd mannerisms um, from some type of like OCD or, or a similar condition, they're always portrayed as like really weird, kind of like not cool guys. And, and not that Brodsky is portrayed as like the coolest guy, but he's portrayed as like a normal guy with odd quirks. And I kind of like that because he also could have been like Monk is the one that comes to mind right yeah. away from, from TV. You know what I mean? Or um, uh, I can't remember his name, but from a show we both loved, uh, Boston Legal. The, oh, the guy who, do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, it, I feel it, bad not knowing that character's name. That's, yeah. But my point is, whenever you see somebody who has tics, like they always have to, and I'm not saying necessarily this about Brodsky, but they're like, oh, they always have to flip a light switch on and off four times. Like they're always portrayed as like the weird maybe creepy but at least nerdy if nothing else guy and brodsky doesn't come across like that he comes across as a regular guy who has like these impulsive quirks jerry was the name of the character in boston that yeah, was totally jerry very good i looked it up on imdb so don't okay. give me too much credit All right. i was like man <laughs> but the second you said it, i was like that's absolutely what his name was yeah. but did you get what i'm saying absolutely like yeah uh it, even in um like that was the that was one of the reasons I never watched the show Monk was because it it looked like they were using 
that was being used as a, as opposed to like being normalized. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like for effect. Like oh, imagine all the jokes and the side stories and the stuff we can we can use if this mm-hmm. person has this particular affliction instead of like um, in Boston Legal, like you mentioned. That guy starts out being disadvantaged by it because no one ever believed, you know, like cared for him and turns into like realizing his potential because he was encouraged. Yeah. And I I think this book, it doesn't do the, the happy ending Jerry's type story, but it doesn't do the monk like exploitative type approach. It it hits like right in the middle where it's just like, this is a part of this person's personality. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think it was it was well done because uh, I'll be honest. When I you know it pretty much opens on, on him his scene or whatever pretty much opens on on some of his like kind of <clears throat> stranger compulsive mannerisms, right? And mm-hmm. I thought to myself like, ugh, I don't want to do a whole book with you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. but, that, but that was that was my my initial thought, and I was like, okay, well it comes up you know when he's stressed and under certain situations. But other than that, he's just like me or you, you know? Well, probably more yeah. like you, but, you know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, and honestly, like, thinking about the approach that he took with his character, um, it almost turns into an advantage because he knows how to see a situation going out of control and, like, stop and change it so that it becomes in control. Whereas, like, if someone goes through life without weird impediments, like when they're faced with adversity, they might just not know what to do. So like, it's almost turned into mm-hmm. like a benefit that he's got this thing he has to control because then it helps him know how to control other situations later in the book. I don't I know didn't if that was think intentional about that, or but not. That's, no, that's an interesting thought. I didn't think of it that way, but I, I see, I see where, where you're going with that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, the rest of the book, you know, I don't know how much more we can talk about it. It's not a terribly long book. I think the listening time is like six hours, six hours and 15 minutes. Rob, you listened to it all today. How long did you spend? It? I did listen to it all today. It was uh, it's like six hours and 40 minutes or something like that. Okay. So it was a good it was a good chunk of my day. So basically today was Radicals Day because when I'm not listening to it, I'm recording a podcast reviewing it. There you go. And some food um, happened in between. So um, I think uh, at this point, it's probably a a good idea to talk a little bit before we go into wrap ups about, um, I guess, about the audiobook experience. And and the reason I say that is um, I'll I'll, I'll back up a little bit. I've never liked audiobooks. I've listened to a handful. But um, (laughs) recently, my commute to work changed um, a few months ago. And I did take the opportunity to listen to, I think it was three or four fiction audiobooks um, over the first I don't know, month and a half, two months of, of having this commute. So I, I'm, I'm a little more used to it now than I was if this would have dropped in, say, you know, March of this year. Um, but there are some interesting, some interesting things for me. Um, one of the challenges is, and I guess this happens with um, reading regular books, too, is that if I start thinking about something else, I'll just right. realize that I oh man I don't even know what I read on this page but I just go back to the top of the page. Thing I have is with the audiobook I don't do that. I don't like try to rewind and be like, "Well, I I don't know, maybe I zoned out for 2 minutes, so like try to skip back 2 minutes." Right. Like I would with a with a paper book. Now some of that might be because I'm driving, so I'm not really screwing around with my phone and stuff while I'm, you know, that's I listen to it exclusively while I was driving to and from work. Um, so that's one of the things that I would say is is a is a maybe a pitfall of an audiobook for me. 
Um, well, and, and I guess I have a unique perspective on that because I decided, so I'm going to be completely honest. I, um, I knew that I had like, uh, a date Friday night. <laughs> so I kind of cleared Friday and Saturday, uh, just to not have to worry about doing anything, but like, you know, whatever happens with, you know, going out with this person. So, but I was also lazy during the week. So I basically pushed myself into a situation where I had to listen to the entire book today. Um, and not ideal for an audiobook uh, in general, but yeah, um, that's been one of, and honestly, like I want to go back to when we interviewed Jeffrey Craner about the book, welcome to night Vale, because I was very excited that, um, they started releasing their, podcast episodes as books because Mm -hmm. listening to welcome to night Vale while I drove never worked for me because I would space out for like a minute and lose the entire thread of the story. So, um, two big thoughts out of this are don't listen to an audio book in six hours and 45 minutes of straight (laughs) listening because that's torturous. Um, and the second thought is I, I fully agree. If you lose the thread, like, especially if you're driving, it's more difficult than just saying, all right, well, I'm going to go back and catch up on the last few pages because there's just different factors involved. So it's harder to kind of catch up on that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It's um, I mean, look, it serves a purpose, right? Cause I can't, you know, my, my commute to work's about 45 minutes each way. Right. So I can't obviously can't read a book at that time frame. So if you want to consume something, that's not, you know, whatever the, the hair band station on your satellite radio or, you know, whatever, a podcast, like it's a, it's a viable source, but I think, I don't know. I I feel like I was too easily drifted off. Like I had to like keep pulling my focus back. Cause I just like, yeah, you know, you're like, you're on your way to work and you're like, all right, well, what do I have to do today? Oh shit. I've got this thing that I, that's due today that I've got to get done. And then I'd be like, I have no idea what happened. And I don't know for how long I haven't been listening to the guy talking out of my radio. (laughs) Right. That's a real problem for sure. One of the other things I wanted to mention, um, first of all, Scott Aiello, not that I recognize the name, but um, in looking at his, uh, at his um, you know, bio, um, yeah, I recognize this guy. I watched a couple of shows that he was in, The Path and The Newsroom. So he looks uh, oh. he looks familiar. Um, not not a main character in either one of those that, that I remember, but he definitely looks like a familiar guy. So he's an actor. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because I noticed that there were two narrators. Correct me if I'm wrong. So it's Scott Aiello and Isabel Keating. Yep. Am I correct that Isabel Keating only appears in one section, like two thirds of the way into the book, where some audio recordings are found? You are 100% correct about that. It was so weird because I was like, well, when's this woman coming yeah. along? And then I yep. started thinking, I'm pretty sure it's the same dude as doing Vargas's voice. So now, then I was trying to listen to see if <laughs> Vargas maybe is a woman who sounds like a man pretending to be a woman with a with a like a Spanish accent. <laughs> and I couldn't. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, yeah. It was the other weird. actor doesn't show up until like eighty percent into the book. So it's like, when is this woman showing up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you have to give credit. I, I wanted, I didn't want to get into a whole conversation about the the voice acting or the voice reading or, or whatever we want to call this um, and break up the flow of, of the story. But um, I have to imagine, I don't even know if Yemen was supposed to sound like that. It's that this guy has to come up with something right. like, 
like two dozen unique voices to use during the course of this book. So for all we know, Yemen maybe isn't described as having any kind of accent, but he has to be able to differentiate Yemen from right. what there's like at least seven other men's voices he does in this. Yep. So um, I imagine that Mr. Aiello probably has, I don't know, like 20 standard voices. And he's like, look, this is what I can do. And like, that's it. Yeah, and I, well, I was hoping that we would get into this because I have some thoughts about it. Um, first of all, I want to give him immense amounts of credit for doing like Hispanic or Latin voices, um, because there's a few characters that are uh, from South America. Uh, well, Vargas is one of them, and it's a female voice that's that's either Hispanic or, or some sort of Latinx uh, voice, and he does it very well. Um, and 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 but he also does like the the you know the like straight English voices English speaking voices very well, um, but yeah like it would go from like <laughs> me and Livia sound as similar you know similar enough where you couldn't really I mean obviously our voices are different and everything but I, I couldn't differentiate you know but like he'd go from like you know if my grandfather was on the on the podcast for some reason he'd be like oh and then Rob says all of this and then my and then his grandfather says. And then I went to the fort, you know, like, yep. he, mm-hmm. and so he does do like very, like a, a variety, a spectrum of vocal differences, which I thought, um, it took a little getting used to, but I'm assuming that that's what a typical audiobook does is if they have basically one consistent narrator throughout the, or one consistent voice actor throughout the whole thing, yep. they go through a spectrum and I feel like he handled it well, but I really don't have much to like, you know, gauge off of or differentiate from. Yeah, and and I get what you're saying about it being weird, and that's one of the other reasons I'm glad that this wasn't the first audiobook I've listened to <laughs> in like ten years or whatever. Um, I listened to the audiobook for The Chain, which was that kind of big splash book, probably like a year ago. Mm-hmm. And the lady who did the narration for that, like, did all the women's voices like perfect, but then when she would do guys, <laughs> it just sounded like your girlfriend mocking you. Every yeah. time, you know, you know what I mean. Well, so, and I wonder, like, because you said that, I'm wondering, from a man's perspective, does a woman always sound like she's mocking you? And from a woman's perspective, does a guy just always sound like they're pretending, like that they're also mocking? Like, is that like, well, it could be like a gender perspective type thing. It could be, um, but I, I guess my point is, is that there's got to be a suspension of disbelief if you listen to audiobooks, <laughs> yeah. if, if they're not a full cast you know, audiobook where you have, you know, 15 different voice actors doing the, and, and that was my other thought about Isabel Keating was, man, th- is that it? Like he, he just doesn't have another woman voice that he can do. So like they had to bring someone in cause he does so much of this. Like, like, well, it's, it's probably like you said that the, the Isabel Keating doesn't show up till probably 80% of the way into the book. Right. And she's in it for maybe 3%. Cause even the part she's in, <laughs> he's opposite her. So it's not like she just gets a, a 15 minute section of, right. you know what I mean? So, and again, not shortchanging any of them. It's just one of those things that's good to know that um, you're going to hear voices that don't sound real normal or natural, but that's because somebody who's really fucking talented has to do more voices than you can do. By the way, your my grandfather impression, awful. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. I'm not a voice. Well, <laughs> yes. Now yeah. I'm not going to go auditioning for voice actor roles, <laughs> but so it, it, to kind of put context on, um, without revealing too much or, or, or spoiling anything, um, the, the, the only part of the book that has a female voice actor 
is where essentially there's like it's 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 referring to something that happened in the past so it's it's not necessarily like an audio transcript but it's like the effect of a transcript uh where um there's a, a very specific male part of the conversation a specific female part of the conversation where i guess what i'm saying is this is the only part of the book that's not specifically like dialogue from character to character it's a more referring back to something that happened like uh in the past like a police transcript kind of thing so um that's the only reason i could think that that would be recorded differently than all of the other stuff that was happening and just done all by scott aiello aiello um because it's like a it's a different type of dialogue that's happening than the rest of the book and i probably took too long to explain that that's okay. I love listening to you talk just in your normal voice. So This is my um, grandpa talking, yeah. and he agrees with me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's talking through one of those <laughs> microphones you put up to your neck when you've smoked for too yeah. long. <laughs> he's got yeah. a trach ring. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely the experience is, uh, is different. Um, before we get into our wrap-ups, I will say uh, I still prefer I still prefer I was going to say the printed page, but really the digital <laughs> page. So I still prefer words on a surface that I can read. Um, but I mean, it's definitely not my last audiobook, and like I said, that circumstance. Um, I used to have a drive that was like probably like six minutes to get to work, so an audiobook was pointless because I can't really listen while I'm at work, and I'm probably not going to listen to an audiobook at home. Um, I think they're a fair way. I, I mean, I don't. I don't know that the story would have affected me any differently than it did had I have read it on paper. Um, and that's really kind of the, the, the whole thing about talking about this was to ask you the question, would you have felt, do you feel in any way different about this? Had you have read it as a, as a traditional book versus an audiobook? Yes. And so I'm glad you asked that question because, um, I was, I was texting with, with someone earlier today, this, this lady friend of mine, and, um, oh, I'm trying to find the text messages cause I explained it pretty well. Um, but they, they, you know, she asked how the, the audiobook was going and, or how the audiobook was. And I said, I liked it, but I don't, I still think that I'd prefer to read stuff, you know, print or like ebook. And this is actually a great experiment for me because, um, I got to see what taking in a book for a review would be like differently what it comes down to for me, especially when I'm trying to be critical and analyze what's going on in a story, is a, a person's voice um, adds inflection and tonation to words that may be different than what my mind would interpret them as. So that's part of it. But then also the pace of a book that's read by someone doesn't give me the opportunity to pause as easily to like reflect on or think about the thing I just read. Uh, as reading it in print does. So uh, I think that from a reviewing perspective, I think that there's benefits to print words that you don't necessarily get as easily in an audiobook. But what I, what I will say is that I, I imagine that the more audiobooks you consume, the easier, are, easier it is to adapt to that medium and understand it and process it better. So it might just be that I'm so new to the medium that there's like a learning curve or something. 
for sure. I, I think you're right. From I didn't. I wasn't thinking like from a review standpoint. From a review standpoint, it sucks, and here's why: because regardless, <laughs> regardless of if we do quotes or anything anymore, one of the reasons I love reading on my Kindle is that I highlight passages, and then before we do the review, right. I just go in and I look at my highlights. So sometimes I'll I'll make an actual text note, but a lot of times. I'll be like, well, why did I highlight this paragraph? And I'd be like, oh, because this is the part where this happened and I want to talk about this in spoiler talk. You know what I mean? And I, I guess, I mean, in theory, the Audible app allows you to, you know, like bookmark sections, but I, there's, I'm not going, you know what I mean? I didn't do it and I wasn't going to go back and listen to parts <laughs> to, so basically from a reviewer standpoint, I just had to depend on, you know, making mental notes of things that I liked or didn't like or, or whatever the situation was, things things to talk about regarding the story. So from a reviewing standpoint, yeah, audiobooks suck. And yeah, again, maybe if that was all we ever did, we would like develop our skills differently to be able to adapt mm -hmm. to that or just at least get a, a rhythm down where we could pause and take notes or some bullshit like that. Mm -hmm. Um but I fully agree. <laughs> I would much rather have a print book. But then, all right, so imagine if you and me were both blind and all we had was audiobooks. We would probably rock the shit out of re uh, getting used to audiobooks, right? That's that's very true. But uh, see, if we had to do it all the time, dude, I would do that thing. And I already know what you're going to say, but I would do that thing where I'm listening to him at two and a half <laughs> speed. Oh, that just, oh, that hurts my soul. Well, I know, but think about this, right? Like when you're in a time crunch or, or whatever, right? And this goes back to what you were saying. Even if I, I look at my watch and I go, ah, shit, I only got like five minutes left on lunch and there's like seven pages left in this chapter, I pick up the reading pace. So I do it. Okay. I just do okay. it myself instead of hitting a button that does 1.5 times. I just increase my reading to 1.5 times instead of the more leisurely pace that I like. But yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know, I and and I do want to credit. I know you said it, and I kind of poked fun at you before. But I love that you listen to this all in one sitting, like you typically read a book that we're reviewing in one sitting, so that you yeah. really tried to like match up. <laughs> right, I'm I wanna, gonna get this all well, done in one day. <laughs> let's pretend that I did it for science, and I yeah. wanted to see what the difference was, <laughs> uh, and that was the outcome. It, it is nice though to have a, a good, accurate comparison because, at the most, this would have been. Uh, you know, a two sitting read, probably. Oh yeah. So it's nice to it's nice to have a decent comparison. But like honestly, the thing that again we said it before, but the thing that was the most challenging thing was um attention span, like letting my mind wander, which is never a problem when I'm reading because if I find that my mind is wandering when I'm reading, I just put the book down and I go and I watch a video on YouTube for ten minutes or whatever, and then I go back to reading. Cause I'm like kind of satisfying that like my brain needs something else. And I don't feel like I was going to do that with the audiobook. I was setting time aside specifically for listening. And yeah, it, it was, it was a very different experience. So we do wrap ups. Okay. Um, before we move on to wrap ups, <laughs> I, I do want to say, because I've been staring at Scott Aiello's um, bio the whole time. Um, as an audiobook person, you can win an earphones award and you can also win, or at least in this case, be nominated for an Audi award, which is not the same as like, you've got the nicest like German car, um, Audi, A-U-D-I-E um, award. So I was not aware that either one of those were actual reward categories, but uh, there you go. Earphones and Audis. 
Oh man, I have to look because I know uh, I know a handful of um, voice actors. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna have to go see if they've ever won any awards. Now you have to go shame them for not being nominated for like, an audio award. Like Scott why aren't Aiello? you as good as Scott Aiello? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, let's do wrap ups. You go first this time. Dude, it's Nick Corpon. He's been a buddy of ours uh, since the very beginning of this podcast. And even when we weren't reviewing his stuff, I know Livius. Uh, see, I'm, I'm on the listening kick in my mind. I can't switch gears, but Livius read By the Nails of the War Priest, and he gave a, a great review of that, which we didn't review. Um, but his, his story in the book anthology, top notch. Um, the books that we've reviewed from him have been top notch. I just, I just think he has a wonderful storytelling mind. And actually, honestly, because I know him, I think one of the things that I appreciated most about this was that it was very local to him because he lives in Baltimore. And so we were getting a very non the wire look at what Baltimore is like, which I appreciate. Um, that's a special dig at friend of the podcast, Missy, who, um, when we first became friends, was mad at me because I thought the wire was just okay. <laughs> but um yeah, Nick does a is a is a wonderful storyteller and um he has a knack for crime fiction. I know that the last two books that we reviewed from his I know that the last two books that were reviewed of his were science fiction. Uh and and I think that he did a wonderful job of those and I, I remember us liking both of those books very much but um he does crime in a way that's just very comfortable like it feels very natural it feels like when he's writing crime like like this is that it just makes sense so it's easy to absorb and appreciate and um that definitely came through in the telling of this story as far as this book goes i think that the strongest part of the book was was the actual story itself um, and how it unfolded and, and definitely like there was a lot of personal character stuff involved with the way that the story unfolded, which I'm not going to talk about because it's going to spoil stuff, but the actual story and what it was about and how it played out was really my favorite part of the story. Um, but he's just, a, he's just a great storyteller. I was, I was in, I was engaged and, and I think that the fact that it was an audiobook was probably the most disarming part of, of, of anything uh, because it's just not a medium I'm used to, but that's absolutely no fault of his. Um, it, it was a great story. It was engaging and I was really interested in the characters and, and what the motivations of, of all the characters were. And, and uh, I think that the conclusion of the story was, was very satisfying because we won't talk about this. We're not going to do a spoiler talk of it, but it could have absolutely gone in multiple directions but the way he took it really paid off for my particular emotional investment in, in how the story was playing out. Uh, all of that said, I gave it uh, 8 out of 10. I really, I really like the story, and, and I know that being an audiobook only might be like a barrier to entry for certain people, but I think it's worth checking out because, like I said um, throughout all of this, he's just a really, really good storyteller, so... Um, I think it's it's definitely worth checking out. I agree with everything Rob said, so I'm not going to re uh, rehash any of that. There's a there's a part of the book. Uh, part is probably not the right word. There is a thread 
um, throughout this book. So um, I mentioned that, you know, there's there's um, activism, right? That's that's the uh, the crimson ghosts, right? Like they're wiping out medical debt and, and it does expand from there. What I really found um, interesting and enjoyable was Nick's really solid feeling take on um, the activist side of it um, as the antagonists. And then obviously as somebody who works for the FBI side as a, uh, you know, law and order, um, you know, type person. And really it felt like doing a good job of balancing the, um, the, the motivations for both and really representing both of them in, in what seemed to be a, a fair and, you know, I'm not an activist and I'm not an FBI agent. Right. But it felt like a good balanced um, portrayal of, of both um, both sides of this particular um, conflict. Yeah. Conflict. Thank you. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's really easy. It, uh, especially in this type of book. And when I say this type of book, this is the most mainstream thing I've ever, I was going to say read, but this is the most mainstream story I've seen a, of Nick's uh, meaning, you know, um, easy, wide appeal, um, you know, stuff that's fairly, uh, interesting to, to, and, and approachable for, for basically any kind of reader. Um, <clears throat> I think it's really easy for authors to demonize the villain, um, typically, right? So it's, it's just the, you know, this super criminal that, that we're at and it's, it's hard, I think, to fairly portray the motivations um, in it. And it's just easy to make them out to be bad guys. And and he didn't do that here. It was a very good balance between the motivations for one side and the motivations for the other. So quite honestly, it was probably my favorite part of the book was to see a, a, a very balanced um, approach where whatever your feelings are on what was going on in this book, I don't know that you'd be let down regardless of which side of the conflict you were on. I feel like both sides were represented um, very fairly. So um, I, I thought it was a fun story. I mean, all the punk rock stuff was uh, was great. Um, the, the characters, you know, like I said, I, I don't know. I, again, when I asked you, I didn't really talk about how I would have felt about the story differently. I don't know what voices scott aiello used that i liked or didn't like or how that affected me or how i would have heard him in the head but all, all in all it's very enjoyable stuff it's very approachable and, and mainstream and i came in uh just a hair under rob after averaging out my scores at 7.88 overall 7.9375 i'm still waiting for that number to get on a book somewhere yeah audible jump on this 7.9375 out of 10 from the booked podcast <laughs> Speaking of which, this episode is not brought to you by Audible, where you can get a free trial, free 30-day <laughs> trial. You can, you can actually get Radicals for free on Audible just by going to their website and clicking a button. <laughs> um, which I recommend doing. I think it's, 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 a, it's a nice book to, if, you know, to dip your toes in. I think Scott did a good job. Nick mm -hmm. wrote a great story. And um, that Isabel woman showed up for a little bit, too. So, why? I mean, there's three reasons right there, at the very least. Plus our 7.9375 rating. You should definitely get this. Make that your trial. There's some shenanigans going on there with that Isabel Keating, too. Um, that She was also in The Path. So, I don't know. Oh. There seems to be some something going on there, maybe with her and Scott Aiello. Not do sure. You, do you think that there's, like, um, first of all, let's get back to, like, the the... the 
accent that she used. I, I, I want to acknowledge, acknowledge the accent mm-hmm. that she used, but like, do you think that there's um, like house voice actors or something like a specific? Well, it's an Audible original, so I'm assuming Audible paid for it. But like, do you think that mm-hmm. there's like groups of actors that just kind of get lumped together in in, in recordings and stuff? Um, my only exposure to this prior to you know like thinking about it right now is um in um anime dubbing and i know for certain there is because if you watch one anime and then you catch another one you're like oh hey this is the the woman that did the voice of so and so and then later on you're like hey that voice sounds really familiar too and you realize it's also another so i don't know how much smaller that community maybe is but i would imagine that's probably the case yeah and there's definitely like producers and directors that are involved so like maybe they just carry over the voice actors that they're like familiar with or comfortable with or whatever. Yeah. Some of it too might be, um, location, you know, like if you record at, at a studio, you know, then it's whatever there's voice actors in, you know, New York and LA and whatever, Houston, Texas. And you wind up, I mean, or agency representation or something maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Be kind of interesting to get a voice actor on and, and talk about all these things. I know voice actors. I can make that happen. There you so, go. Uh, if if that's something that you want, and you're a listener of this podcast, um, let us know, and we can maybe like dig into the the background of. Uh, you know what? I don't know if my voice actors are audiobook voice actors though, so I'm going to put a caveat there. Oh, I guess they could do like voiceovers for like cartoons, commercials. I was, trying, or, I, was, yeah. I was like, what? I was like, what else could they do? But I guess yeah, I guess there's a lot of other anything non do physical acting basically yeah yeah that's true that's true all right let's move off of audiobooks and let's uh let's let's not do another audiobook for a while i guess is i I think we can both agree (laughs) one audiobook a year is probably enough for us yeah well you know what if if the sequel to this book comes out four months from now i'm down but like yeah i'm probably gonna want to pace myself a little bit with the audiobooks well, I just wanted to free up my listening time, and I don't know if listeners know this. I don't know if we've actually talked about it on the podcast, but I guess I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, Rob has been working on another podcast project <laughs> that that may or may not ever see the light of day, is my understanding. But uh, do you want to do you want to tell listeners a little bit about it? Um, yeah, sure. Um, it's honestly like I think this part of this at least came out of. I'm going to say this a different way. I don't believe that this project would exist if there wasn't a global pandemic happening right now. That being said, uh, so me and a couple of people that we mentioned on the podcast already. So it's me and three other guys, um, Adam and Oshkosh, whose legs don't work and John Gatwood. And then our, also our friend Nate, who, uh, is the least, um, participatory in things like this, like podcasts and other types of like, public things um we all grew up together and we all met like in the third grade and so we've known each other for three decades plus and adam had the idea um i'm gonna do a little background adam is married and he has two kids he's been married for like 12 years john is married he has a kid nate married has a kid i'm single and have no kids Um, so I think the motivations are different for each of us, but like Adam at one point said, Hey, why don't we get together and record essentially a podcast of, um, remembering our friendship and growing up together. And that would be a great thing to just have, um, kind of a record of our experiences of, of being friends and 
being friends throughout the decades, which is, is probably not something that everybody can identify with. So we've been getting together every other week and recording for, you know, approximately like two, two hours or so. Um, and just talking about the weird stuff we got up to as like kids, but then also throughout the years. Um, so it, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting to see four different perspectives on the shit that we went through, uh, you know, as children and, and growing up and everything. Um, so it's been an interesting project and, like Livia said, I don't know how this is going to see the lighter day. And honestly, like, even if it does, I don't know who's going to be interested in seeing it, but it's an, it's, it's actually like been pretty fun to, to go back and, and relive some of the memories that maybe are 20 plus years old. So here are my thoughts on that while you were talking. And I, I've known about this for, <laughs> for weeks and this was really like a really long winded way for me to set you up so that you can tell me something <laughs> that you started to tell me before the podcast. Um, but Yes, I think that that would actually be fun to do with uh, with childhood friends for for the participants. Um, I guess the interest level would be in how interesting and fun, um, not necessarily your lives were, but like how interestingly you present them. And and I, for listeners, right. I have not heard any of this. I have met um, Adam and John um, on multiple occasions, right? So. Um, but I, I don't know how this plays out with, uh, you know, the dynamic between <laughs> between the four of you. Well, but that's what I'm saying. If it's presented right. in a way, it could I, look if I were whatever flipping through YouTube or whatever, and some title caught my eye and I clicked on, I would I could probably totally listen to a couple dudes just shooting the shit about something. Um, if the interaction was good, you know, and and the stories were were okay. But I think really it's more about people than it is about like the things you did. Like, listen, I know you guys, and I know that when you got up to wacky shit, you guys probably weren't, like, murdering people or, like, robbing banks or doing anything, like, high interest for people to listen to. Um, but I don't know how much that matters if it's if it's presented in the right way. Yeah, and honestly, like, so I took a very similar approach to the way that we do the podcast in as much as, especially when we do interviews, my approach is don't talk until... I need to make it interesting kind of like as long as the, t as long as the discussion can support itself, I don't say anything. So my approach to this particular project is, um, let it be interesting and steer it when I need to. And, uh, the only, I guess, X factor of that is like, what's the definition of interesting? Because like the things that are interesting to us are probably very much inside stories, but hopefully there's enough, um, universal, like if I told a story about like, you know, John getting a wedgie in the bathroom, you weren't there for that, but maybe you remember a wedgie story in your life that, you know, it resonates with or something. So that, that was kind of my goal was let the guys talk and enjoy the conversation as much as possible. And then steer it when I felt like it wasn't going in a direction that was going to be like productive thinking about all the wedgies i gave people in bathrooms you were the now. giver of the wedgies yeah. <laughs> i don't think i was, was not yeah. i was not but that's the that's the character i play on this podcast at yeah least. um so really what i was getting to is you guys had a special guest and this is what i want to hear about and because i want to hear about it everybody listening has to hear about it too yeah so we have recorded the last so a week ago basically was our fifth recording and they're all approximately like two hours each. And I haven't, I haven't done anything with any of them. I haven't edited them. Um, and they're also video recordings. You can see us the whole time, but,
but in the fifth recording, um, the special uh, difference, the change in that recording uh, compared to the others was that Adam and Oshkosh, whose legs don't work, is the Adam uh, in, in the in that thing. Uh, his mom joined us essentially for the whole time. Like his mom was on the recording and the idea was maybe she's got a different perspective of how we were as kids than we do. Or at least like she has a different um, take on how things went down and stuff or just like an, uh, an impression of us as friends in general. And so she joined us for nearly two hours of discussion about us as kids, which was, it was very entertaining. And, 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 <laughs> Like my joke was she, I was worried about, um, so our discussion for the first four recordings was, you know, pretty, pretty mundane, pretty like, Oh, remember the time that like, you know, we ditched high school to do this. And, and and my joke was that I was worried that Adam's mom would, um, make it too offensive for, for the general public. And she did not disappoint. Like penises were mentioned six minutes into the recording. Well, that, see, now you want to know how you make it interesting for people. That's <laughs> that's exactly it. My uh, my first thought on that was, um, well, Jesus, I'm almost 48. You're, what, almost 42, right? Yeah, I'll be 42 in like four days. Yep. So my, my thought is, I guess my question for you is this. Does introducing a parent, so a, a parent, someone you, you know as a parent, meaning like, uh, like this person was kind of around, I don't know how much time you spent at like Adam's house or whatever. Right. But doesn't introducing a parent, no matter what age you are and, and a, a parent of your friends, I guess would be a more accurate mm-hmm. way to do that. Make you feel like a kid. Like you have to mind your P's and Q's, even though you're in your fucking forties. If it was any other person's parent, I would okay. absolutely That's agree. Fair. <laughs> That's fair. Cause after what you just told me, but my thought was, <laughs> Man, I could totally not be myself. Even even your mom, who I've I've only met a handful of times. I did not know her when I was twelve years old. Right? I, I would probably act a little differently on this podcast if she was the 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 uh, the co host of the week. Yeah. So yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, we all knew what we were. We all knew why she was like the ideal parent guest, mm-hmm. and um, all of us had. Well, you know, John's lost both of his parents, so that doesn't count. But um. Me and Nate both kind of said, I don't know if our parents would be into, I don't know if my mom would be into it. I don't know if his mom would be into it, but, um, uh, we knew that Adam's mom would be the best parent to get because she was the one who was just like, she, she was a wonderful mom. I'm going to say this first of all, like, and, and that actually comes through (laughs) in the recording, like, because Adam's the one who had a disability growing up and she was the one who fought so hard to make sure that he had the same life as everybody else. So she was a wonderful mom, but she was also the absolutely the most inappropriate parent of, of anybody. <laughs> and so we knew that there was going to be that balance of like, um, you know, approaching sainthood, but at the same time, like, you know, really, really inappropriate discussion. Which, um, which is, which is fine. Like you don't typically think of those two things being, you know, happening simultaneously, <laughs> but right. I guess I don't see why it couldn't, you yeah. know? Yep. So, well, there you go, listeners. If that ever it's the light of day, episode five, apparently is the one you need to, to, to be ears out for <laughs> eyes out for it's a video. It's a video podcast. Can't wait to watch your podcast. Oh Sorry. man. Yeah. That, that'll be the only time time that that's not annoying. <laughs> yeah. Throw back to something we haven't talked about in, in years on this podcast, but yeah. So, <laughs> 
Uh, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we talk about what may or may not happen over the next couple of weeks? I feel like I talk too much. So, like, right. I, I, I would say I would kick it over to you. Otherwise, I'm good. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, here is a look at the next few weeks. Next week, potentially, we'll have an interview. If not, there will be an interlude as we take a break from um, from not reading a book and listening to a book this week. But uh, we're going to take a time out from consuming stories for a week. Um, and then... And I'm going to just kind of lightly tease this. We're probably going to have like a crossover podcast thing happening. That's still in, like we, we, we're we going to do this. We're just not exactly sure from a scheduling standpoint how this is going to work. Um, I think it's okay to say, right? Yes. Okay. Um, we are going to be doing a crossover podcast with the fellas from This Is Horror. So we haven't done this in, in a couple of years. We did have Michael Wilson on earlier this year to talk about his novella. But we will be joining, I hope, Michael and Bob Pastorella for a Halloween-y crossover. Um, we'll be talking about a novella that they're putting out for Halloween. So that's something I'm looking forward to reading in the next couple of weeks. Although I don't know that that'll be like a proper review. We haven't quite worked out all the details yet. And then, um, you know, we're going to have a Halloween episode, of course, with special guests, um, permanent co-hosts. I don't remember what we're calling them, Jesse and Misty. So we will have our Halloween extravaganza spectacular as we have every year for the last several years. Um, then there'll be, uh, I, I guess I'll let you talk about that following episode since I won't be on it. Yeah. So first of all, I want to say this is going to be my first Halloween spectacular, ex Halloween extravaganza, spooktacular, whatever you want to call it. It's whatever title we're using, um, in my new apartment. So I'm going to have to try and figure out a way to make it look all like creepy and Halloweeny. Um, so I'm excited about that, but um, much like Livius has done a couple of times in the past where he had uh, Frank Edler co-review a book with him, correct? Uh, yes, yes, we did uh, We did something with Frank, uh, Mannequin, something or another. Terror Mannequin, oh, is that what the one you Terror did? Mannequin, that's the one, yeah. yep. Uh, and then also with Dino Parenti, you did The Mister by E.L. James. Mm -hmm. um, I did, yep. Livius is going to take a break, you know, kick his feet up on the desk and, uh, and, and put his hands behind his head while me and... Uh, uh, one of our permanent uh, co-hosts that was mentioned earlier, Misty Bennett, are going to take a couple of weeks, maybe a week or two to talk about a book by author John Douglas, who is the author of the book Mindhunter, which inspired, obviously, the, the Netflix series Mindhunter, um, who has a, a new book coming out called The Killer's Shadow, which is a story, a true story about his hunting of a white nationalist serial killer. And the hope is, at the very least, it's going to be a book review. Fingers crossed there's also going to be a, an interview that follows that up as well. So it's very exciting for us. And the reason that Misty Bennett was chosen as the co-host for this is because she is absolutely much more knowledgeable about true crime in general, but also um, John Douglas's other work, including the fact that she read uh, Mindhunter uh, in the past. So... When I mentioned that was an op option to the to like to my besties, I was like, "Hey, this popped up." She freaked out, and so I was like, "Why not take someone who is more of a uh, aficionado?" Yeah, oh, I was gonna say uh, authority, authority on the subject, 
and and have that as have that person as a co-host and give Livius the opportunity to maybe kind of relax a week or two and just kind of like catch his breath because it's been I don't know if we mentioned this but like 15 episodes or something since we've done an interlude so we've been pretty busy so give Livius a little rest and give us an opportunity to to check out some true crime because nonfiction is not something that we've done since our what sixth review which I is believe so almost 300 yeah. reviews ago yeah um i am glad that you guys are able to do this i was not like nonfiction doesn't absolutely nothing for me <laughs> like i really <laughs> like i like i wouldn't have said no if you wanted to do this and misty wasn't you know down for it but i do want to say i'm really glad that you qualified it because i just thought that misty wanted in on this because she was a serial killer groupie well i mean i mean that might be the actual motivation but like i'm gonna i'm couching it as like she's got credentials i like it i like it a lot so that's a that's a loose look at the next five six weeks whatever that is of of booked uh, and then we're probably going to hit the fiction pretty hard in those last six weeks of the year right like we're going to yep. kind of ramp up and try to try to knock down a bunch of books so that's what it's looking like uh i know this one went i know it went longer than i thought it was going to for <laughs> sure um but uh thanks for listening uh definitely check out nick corpon's radicals uh an audible original did you notice that at the very end they used a guy that sounded like he recorded that in like the 1970s like the, yeah. this is audible the credits yeah like i'm i'm pretty sure that that must be the guy who was doing those for like um books on tape when they were like on cassette yep but then i was like well they couldn't have just taken that audio because i don't think it was called audible then because audible <laughs> i think was invented right like 10 years right. ago or something yeah so you've anyway. been listening to a huffton mifflin recording yeah exactly so um but yeah that's it for this episode thanks again for listening please subscribe like comment do all the stuff that we need you to do so that we can keep doing this until next time i'm livia snedden and i'm rebels and keep reading